If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. We talked recently about heaven. Yeah, that was like um, five minutes ago. Like five minutes ago, but yeah. Through the magic of show business, it's, it's, it, <laughs> right. it, it, it's actually being released. Like right. four or five days. So later. who knows when, you know, there might, <laughs> something might come up in between. Yeah. And so I just want to be careful to say that we talked recently about heaven and leading up to heaven in the Catholic faith is purgatory. Everybody has got to get in there. And this is a thing, you got, to, got to go there first. And this is a thing we Protestants, who I am increasingly not lumping myself in, I'm sort of, I'm a man without a country right now, but anyway, we would utterly, well, you can't, you can't say that because it's not in the Bible. They just made that up and blah, 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 blah. And like, I would like to hear about, first of all, what the Catholic Church has to say about what purgatory is and its purpose. But, I, but also, why, why do I need to go to purgatory? Doesn't, here's what the Protestants would say, doesn't Jesus' blood cover my sins and isn't that good enough? Now, I took your class on Dante, which I would like to put a pitch in for. It's still online. If you write, a, write an email to Greg and he will hook you up with how to do that. It was wonderful. And it was my introduction a year and a half ago to the Catholic Church. Much of it was. Write, so me, it was, write me an email and I'll hook you up. Right. Greg will hook you up. So I, I've read up on this a little bit. And I, I, as always, I think I know what you're going to say. And it's never what you're going to say. So I, I am interested in particular in how this doctrine came to be, because it's clearly not a main a thing, you know, heaven and hell talked about all the way through the Bible, purgatory not. I would like to hear how it came about and then why, why do I need to yeah. go through it? You know? Okay. Good question. So let's start. And I'm glad that if you listen to the previous episode on heaven, what we said was typically when, when I end up with conversations over the years with people, the conversation always starts with hell because everyone's super curious about hell because that's interesting, Right. And then the conversation goes, well, what do you have to do to get to heaven, right? And as we said in the last episode, I, I like starting with heaven and working down. Because if we define heaven as we did, which is the proper end, the terminal goal, right? It mm -hmm. is the, the, the natural end for man to, to, who was created in God's image to be in direct communion with God mm -hmm. and because of sin was separated and in a sense will never be fulfilled, will never be complete until we are in communion with God again. Right. right? And right. that's heaven. Well, then you start to say, okay, let's back off from that a little bit. And to the degree to which people do not end up in communion with God, that they infer, end up further and further away from him is the description of sort of in Dante's sort of imagination of it, right? right. Where you have the top of Paradiso and you sort of move, right? And I'm sure we'll come up and we'll talk about this in the hell episode, but in Dante, 
the bottom of hell as the point in the universe as far as from God as possible. Right. So, so again, I'm not arguing for for Dante other than an imaginative thing, but just think of if heaven is is the pinnacle of the human life. Right. That that somehow you move away from that. Right. And that brings us to purgatory. Okay. Okay. So before we go any further, and I'll describe how we got there and the biblical nature of right. it and blah blah blah. Let me just define the term and what it is. Sure. Okay. So in the last episode, I, I read from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1023, the description of heaven. And I'm going to read that again. So 1023, heaven, catechism says, those who die in God's grace and friendship and are perfectly purified live forever with Christ. They are like God forever for they see him as he is face to face. It's definition of heaven. Right. Now I'm going to flip the page. I literally am flipping the I page. I see you flipping the page. In my catechism. And I've gone to paragraph 1030. Okay. And it says, all who die in God's grace and friendship. That was how the last right. one started, right? right? If you die in God's grace and friendship, but are still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter into the joy of heaven. Mm-hmm. End quote. So the difference between those two paragraphs, right, was all who die in God's grace and friendship are assured of the eternal salvation. Okay? Right, right. So all that is required, in a sense, for eternal salvation, according to the catechism, is to die in grace and friendship with God. So to your, my Protestant friends who say, well, wait a minute, are you saying I got to do something to earn my way to heaven? No, that's, that's not what it says. It says die in grace and friendship. Grace and right. friendship, right? So die like I love Jesus. I've accepted his grace, right. right? And in friendship with God means, right, that I'm open to him. That assures you of eternal salvation. However, the difference between these two paragraphs, the difference between heaven and, and, and purgatory is that some of us die in grace and friendship. We are assured of eternal salvation, but we are in a sense not ready. We, we, have, we are imperfectly purified. We have aspects of ourself that are not quite formed or fully formed so that we can really know and enjoy God directly face-to-face. Are you saying that it is possible then? Does the Catholic Church teach that it is possible to die, to be, to get to the point in this life that you are in perfect grace and friendship with God and you just, you just straight to go, right? Straight yeah, to heaven? not everybody goes to purgatory. Okay. And so part of that is, is you don't die with mortal sin. Let's imagine two people, Bob and Sally. Right. Okay. So Bob accepts Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bob and Sally are both ordinary people. They have good things about them. and and bad things about them. They both accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they accept his grace and they, in a sense, have friendship with him in in the sense that they love God, right? Right. But Bob has, through spiritual disciplines, through the sacraments, through Eucharist, right? Through discipleship, call it whatever you want, right? Bob has worked on sanctification. So this is a this is a Protestant concept. I was taught it in a Calvinist seminary. Right. There's two things that operate here. 
One is salvation and the other is sanctification. Right. Salvation is being saved. Sanctified is being made holy. Mm-hmm. Being perfected. You with me? Yep. Yep. Okay. So Bob is saved and he has through various spiritual disciplines, he goes to worship, does this. Right. Well, as a, as a Catholic, Bob, you know, Bob goes to confession and reconciliation. Bob right. takes the Eucharist. Bob has worked and and tried to as best right. as possible in this life, right? Right. Die in a state of purification and sanctified grace, right? Right. Well, I'm good, right? Now, some people are going to die in that condition, right? right? Sally, on the other hand, has things in her life. She, she has accepted Christ. And she's in a sense in friendship with God, but she's clinging to sins in her life. Now, now, now not willfully, but there's just stuff she can't let go of. Maybe, maybe she's uh, got some dark parts in her heart. You know, she, she, right. she, maybe, maybe it's lust. Maybe it's hatred of her sister. Maybe it's nasty habits that she right. has, right? And it isn't that she doesn't love Jesus and she feels bad about those things, but she just knows that inside she's, She's full of a lot of stuff. Right. I mean, you, you were telling me about somebody who was it your grandmother or somebody who's like, there's a lot of my heart that's really dark. A friend's grandmother, yeah. Yeah, friend's yeah. Guy, you know, it's a lot of my heart. There's a lot of stuff in my life, right? Right. I mean, or, or let's flip it around. Maybe it's Bob because it's easier to beat up on a guy right. than Bob than Sally, right? So invert the, the metaphor. Maybe Bob really has accepted Jesus and is sincere and he, and he longs it, but he's addicted to pornography. Right. Okay? Right. I just... Pick that as a right. thing, right? So Bob and Sally would get hit by a bus or something at the same time, right. and they go there. All right. This addiction to pornography, I'll flip the metaphor that Bob has. Right. And this tendency to be, this tendency to be angry. Right. Bob, Bob has a, a temper, and he's addicted to pornography, and he has a temper. Right. And it isn't that he isn't saved by Jesus, and it isn't that he doesn't want to go to heaven, but just there's this junk in him right and the issue is how do you become purified or sanctified so that you are able to stand before the beatification and fully enjoy communion with god in heaven now one could say well jesus forgives him yeah jesus forgives him but if, if you think about that for just a moment and you think about it doesn't matter all about all this junk in Bob's life. Jesus doesn't care because he just gives him a pass. But Bob right. is still that guy. He's still got that junk in him. Right. What did, where does the junk get dealt with? And to say, well, it doesn't really matter because Jesus gives him a hall pass and right. it never gets dealt with, in a sense is to, I think, kind of make a bit of a mockery of right. the reality of, of our humanity. God wants us to be mature. And I could, I'm not going to take the time right now, but I could walk through a hundred Bible verses that talk about growing in maturity and faith and holiness. Right. Right. And so the thing is, is where, where does Bob ever get made holy? If the evangelical argument is, doesn't matter if Bob is an angry person and if he's a, and if he's addicted to pornography, as long as he has the free pass. Right then God doesn't care because Jesus gave him a pass. And I think that that is, and then the church has always thought, Christianity has always thought, 
that is in a sense a, a, a very a sort of a diminishment of our right. relationship with Christ. So the whole idea of, of purgatory or purification is, is a sanctification of the soul as it approaches God in heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that as we want to draw nearer to God so that we can be before him and see his face and enjoy it and enjoy it, that in a sense, all of that stuff has to be, our robes have to be washed, right? right. There's a biblical image, two or three different places right. in the New Testament. Wash our robes, right? R- remember, there's, there's a saying, none shall enter the city unless their robes be washed, that we be made holy. And so, so we do not want to be unholy people standing before a holy God. Now, this is, again, trying to make this super clear. This is not about being saved. It's about being saved, but then once saved, how do we be perfected? Right. And how do we be purified? And how do we be sanctified and made holy enough to stand before God and see him and enjoy him fully? So because Bob is hanging on to these sins, he, it, it indicates that he still wants to do them. And, and, and so if he's going to stand in front of God where those things aren't, aren't okay, he's not going to like it. Yeah, well, right. So glad you brought that up, right? So the issue is, does, does Bob want those things? So, so Paul himself in Romans says, I look at myself and I see two laws at work. On the one hand, I love God, right? Right. On the other hand, I have this other law at work in me, and I and I do the things I do not wish to do. I do bad things. Right. right? Paul says, "Woe to me, wretched man that I am." Right. But I have faith in salvation in Christ. And so the thing is, is that whether Bob wants to look at the pornography, whether right. Bob wants to be an angry person, or Bob would like to let those things go, but they have a grip on his heart and on his soul. Right. And in a sense, like it's addiction, right? I mean, so we right. talk about right. friends of ours who have been through 12-step or addiction. Right. They go, do you like being a drug addict? Do you right. like being addicted to Oxycontin? Do you like being an alcoholic? No, I hate being an alcoholic, but I have this, like an right. alcoholic, I'm drawn. So if we think of sin that way and we go, you're saved, but we're in the eternal process of drawing near to God, do you ever, in a sense, let those things go or do those things, are those things right. purified or burned out of you or washed out of you so that you finally stand? And to say that God doesn't care is to say that he doesn't desire you to grow in maturity in Christ and become right. all that you can be. So, the doctrine of purgatory or the doctrine of purification, or if you really think about it, what is the way it's called purgatory, because the doctrine of purgation, to purge, right. is a doctrine that after we die, those who are dying grace and friendship with God, who are assured of eternal salvation, will undergo a process of purgation, of purging them of the unworthy parts of, the, of them or their unworthy qualities. And I think where some of this gets off base is to think of purgatory as a place. Now, Dante, Dante imagined it as a place because he's writing an imaginative story. And I think that's part of the problem is that for a lot of people, they go, wait a minute. So there's this other place, there's this place that you go and it's called purgatory. I'll get into that in a minute because there's reasons to think it's this place. And I'll get into that in church history and, and, and in scripture. I think it's important to think of it less of a, as a place 
and more of as a process. Okay, yeah. And it could be a process. And the other thing is, is that because, as we said in the last episode about heaven, our imagination has limits. So we imagine things. We imagine, as Dante did, going to this place where you have to work out your salvation in fear and troubling to, to be made, in a sense, clean enough and holy enough right. to stand before God. And so Dante imagines that in terms of place and time. So you go to this place and you spend so much time there. And it certainly was been talked about that way. But for all I know and for all you know, in the, in the light of eternity, it's something that happens in the twinkling of an eye. Right. That, that in some sense, if I get hit by, you, we get hit by a bus going home, I, I, I certainly expect to, and a, a need and desire to be made holy. Right. And whether that happens in, whether you think of that in terms of time and place that I'm going to spend 500 years in purgatory or whether in a twinkling of an eye, I'm going to undergo a process of purgation and purification, right. in which God is going to burn those things right. away from me so that I am no longer like the alcoholic right. burdened by them. And those burdens will be purged out of me. And, and that's where this doctrine of purgatory, which describes it as a place or purgation, which thinks of it as a process, right. kind of comes from. Yep. The other thing you talked about was where does the idea come from? And this is, this is kind of crazy because Protestants will talk about how the Catholic Church just made this up and there's no mention of purgatory in the Bible. So, okay. It is true. The word purgatory does not occur in the Bible. Right. Neither does the word Trinity. Right. Neither does the word incarnation. Right. Okay. What it describes are things. So it describes a God who is in three persons, a father and a son and a Holy Spirit. We then gave that concept, the term Trinity. It describes how God became man, right? right? John 1, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word, right? Right. right? The word was born in flesh. And we took that concept of the word being born in flesh and gave that the term incarnation. And so in the same way, although the word purgatory is not in the Bible, the concept of sanctification and being made holy right. and being perfected in this life and the next is. Right. And, and there's multiple references to it. There's references in Jesus' parables. There's references in the letters of the apostles. There's references in the book of Revelation. The, the Bible ends with being described that no one enters the, in Revelation 22, that no one enters the, the, the holy city of the new Jerusalem without their robes being washed and made white to enter. You can't come into that city and be before God right. without those things being burned away from you. We, we talk about, Paul talks about being sanctified in this life and then and being made holy into the next. And so, I mean, I could go through and cite right. chapters and sure. verses, but I'm not going to do that here because all that stuff's online or whatever. Someone who spends five minutes Googling it. But right, there's, there's many descriptions of this concept of God making us holy. And the term purgation, pur purification or purgation right. was developed as a way for the church to describe the concept in the same way that the word Trinity was used to describe right. the concept that's in scripture. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Now, 
in terms of a place, it's, it's a kind of interesting because if you look at the Old Testament, well, the Hebrews didn't have a well-developed, well, say Hebrews, in, in the Old Testament, God had not revealed, there's a sort of a progression of, what, of God's revelation right. that he reveals throughout the Old Testament to the New, more and more and more of himself and of his plan. And so the Old Testament writers or the Old Testament Jews didn't have a, as fully developed of a concept of what happens when we die. Right? For example, they didn't have a fully developed concept of the resurrection right. or of heaven. What they did is have an, a notion of Sheol, the land of the dead, or excuse right. me, the, the land of the dead, Hades right. in Greek, Sheol in, in Hebrew, sort of the land of the dead. There's this parable that Jesus tells about Lazarus and the rich man. Yeah. And there's this notion of you know, that Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham, right. Right, while the rich man is in the fire. There are passages in the New Testament and in the early church fathers and whatnot, there's clear that there was a sense that people went on to enjoy Christ and enjoy the future. And, but there's also this thing, again, I'm, I'm not going to get into cha- setting chapter and verse, maybe we can another episode or whatever, but it'd be, be half an hour flipping pages. But yeah, this notion of being sanctified and that the process of sanctification begins in this life and is often completed in the next. Mm. Yep. Now, there's another way that this thing develops in, to, to make a point about it, and that is prayers for the dead. So we pray for the dead because we, want, we pray for them to complete that journey. So our beloved dead, who we know have moved on, they died in grace and friendship with God, and we pray that God speeds their soul or opposes their soul so that they move further and further or closer right. and closer, however you want to think right. about it, that they draw nearer and nearer to God and they complete their, their journey to, to be near to God in the beatific vision. Now, Protestants will say that this is wholly invented, but you know the thing is, is that we know for a fact that people prayed to the dead. There's references to that in the New Testament. Yep. There's references, there's clear references to it in the generation right after Jesus. So we can look at the, the first generation after the apostles and things like the Didache and other things. And frankly, you can go to the catacombs in Rome where they were burying people just the generation after Peter and Paul or whatever. Right. And we go down there and find graffiti, people praying for their their relatives, right. praying for my father, praying for my son, praying for, right? right. And again, if people's final destination is determined at the time of their death and there's there's no point in praying for them there's no praying for them right. to, to know and enjoy god because that would have already been determined and so at a very early time the church had this notion that our journey it's not what right. we like but in a sense our the journey of the soul towards god is a journey and it's a process it begins in this life i'll allow that word in this context here <laughs> it begins in this life and it's determined by the grace and salvation of Christ. But then with the grace and salvation of Christ, we begin on a journey of sanctification and holiness that ultimately leads, leads us to, to stand before God face to face. And that that journey begins in this life and continues into the next. And so the early Christians and the early Christian fathers prayed for their beloved dead. Now, I remember somebody pointing out once, I thought this was an interesting point. They said, when you look at the early church, they were very contentious about doctrine, as they should be, because they had the sense that the apostles had given, preached the true gospel. And so you can look in the early centuries at all the heresies that crept up mm-hmm. and how the church reacted against heresies. 
Trinitarian heresies, Christological heresies, all these kinds of heresies. The, the early church was very sensitive to somebody distorting the gospel and the apostolic message. Right. And yet, during those same early centuries, first, second, third, fourth century, when all of these other things were being codified, the, the doctrine of the Trinity and so on right. and so forth, at the Council of Nicaea and whatever, the Christological truths or the gospel, the, when the scriptures were being compiled and right. published, prayers for the dead and the concept of purification or purgation or purgatory was emerging. There were no councils, no church fathers who said, we need to stop this because it's a terrible heresy. Yeah. Okay, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, so, so you can go back and you can say, here's, here's what Christians were saying and doing in the second, third, fourth century. And the very same church fathers who were reacting to all these other heresies weren't reacting to this. So they, in a sense, I'd say they were cool with it. And if it was a terrible right. heresy that was, was being developed, why aren't there any church fathers stomping down on it? Right. There aren't because they understood organically this was. Now, in the Catholic Church, it is true, and, and Protestants will cite this all day long. They'll say, well, all, the Catholic Church invented all of this kind of stuff at the councils of Florence and the councils of Trent, so these medieval right. councils. And right. you go, well, hold on. At the councils of Florence and Trent, the church defined a doctrine or codified or, or upheld a doctrine that had been emerging or been in place for, in the case of Council of Trent, 1,500 years. Right. So it just for those of you who are, whatever, Council of Trent is when the church gathered after the Protestant Reformation or during the Protestant Reformation okay. to say, Protestants are saying X, Y, Z. Martin Luther says X, Y, Z. So right. we're going to restate the Catholic position on these issues. Right. So it holds a Council of Trent says, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. The true Catholic faith is X, Y, Z. Right? right? One of those things it puts in there is purgatory. Okay? That doesn't mean they invented it at the Council of Trent. It right. meant that because Luther and others were attacking this long-standing understanding or this long-standing teaching or this long this thing that had been long-standing in the, in the in the church's practice that the church said, "Whoa, hold on. We're going to define this and write it down." Right? And define it, you know, definitively that way. It's a little bit like I'm going to give an analogy here I may get blasted for this analogy, but it's like the church needs to define teaching on gender ideology right. or same-sex marriage. So let's suppose the church comes out now, and, I, and I've heard this argument for same-sex marriage, where, the, where various denominations or churches are issuing statements and say the church disagrees with same-sex marriage, and someone right. goes... Well, you're inventing something because there's never been any statements like that before. You go, well, right. no one ever thought that we had to make one. Right. Right? We're right. only making the statement. And, and if you go back to all of the great councils, so go back to the Council of Nicaea that defines like the Trinity. The reason that that happens, right, in what, 325 or whatever, the reason they had to define it in 325 was because it was under attack by the Arians. So, right. so in other words, everybody had believed in the Trinity up to that point until this heresy rose and people started right. denying the Trinity and the church goes, Oh, hold on, let's get organized and let's, let's react. Right. So it's a little bit of a, I think of a false argument to say on the part of the Protestants that the church at the councils of Florence and Trent invented the doctrine of purgatory. 
any more than the Trinity was invented at the Council of Nicaea or any more than we would be inventing a doctrine of heterosexual marriage by issuing a statement about it today. It's right. only when it's under challenge that we, we define it. Right. And the truth is, is that the concept of sanctification in this life and the next and the journey of the soul towards God as a process of holiness, that, that, that has always, and, and praying for souls to complete that journey and to be sped along in it, uh, has always really been a part of Christian practice and the Catholic faith. The idea of purgatory always made sense to me, and I could never get any kind of satisfying explanation out of any Protestant people, ministers, pastors, any layman, whoever, of how I would go from being not such a great guy to instantly being a great guy in the next life. And if that's true, that whatever's wrong with me in this life, God will fix it then what's the point of behaving right now? I just got to say the sinner's prayer and then I'm in and then God will fix it later, but I can go on doing things. That, that never made any sense to me. And when I started thinking, when I would think about purgatory and I would think, well, I don't, I don't, that makes sense to me. I just didn't see it in the Bible and that was my whole frame of reference. Yeah, well, no, you're right. I mean, in, in some sense, it's like, if the notion is that again, Bob who's has a terrible temper and was like an alcoholic or a part addicted to pornography or whatever it is, that either A, when Bob dies, God just says, it doesn't matter. And you can still have this soul that is beset with these lusts right. and appetites and, and tendencies, and God just doesn't care anymore because every time that you're standing in, the, in front of God in the beatific vision, you go, yeah, look, but Bob over there in the corner is full of all this right. junk in his soul and his right. heart, but it doesn't matter because... Everybody gets a pass because of Jesus. Well, that doesn't it sort of it doesn't really allow Bob to fully enjoy God because sure, there's a stuff sure. between him and there. The other thing that I think misunderstanding is the notion that somehow, and this is a distortion of Catholic teaching that Protestants will do, is that somehow it's a second bite at the apple. So if I've lived a bad life, the grace of Christ isn't sufficient to save me. So then I go to this next life and I have to perform tricks or something right. to sort of earn my way. Right. And that's exactly what we said the catechism doesn't say is that all those who die in grace and friendships with Christ, although in God, with, although imperfectly purified in this life, will enjoy eternal salvation, but they need to be made holy. Mm -hmm. And that process is probably a cooperative process. It isn't that you go there and are told you have to do tricks, but you work with God. Just in, just as Paul says, in this life, we work out our salvation with fear right. and trembling, right? It isn't a works theology, but God saves us. And then we need to, right. to work that out in us. We need to become like him. We need to embark on this process of discipleship and, and sanctification. And a lot of times we don't get to complete that in this life. I mean, look at the person who says, I accepted Jesus last night and then this morning got hit by a bus. I haven't had much of a chance for discipleship in my life. Right. And that discipleship is a process. Again, I don't know that's at a place, specifically a place or a time. I think that's a convenient way to think about it in the same way we think of heaven as sort of a place, but heaven's really more of a state. So the, the Catholic Church doesn't teach anything about it being a physical place or the actual the actual specific conditions of it or anything like no, that? No more than heaven is a physical place or hell is a physical place, right? right. In a sense, they are states of, of relationship with God. 
in in heaven being, as we said in the last episode, heaven being that place where we have fulfillment and enjoyment of God, right? And hell being that place where we are as far from God and separated from we can be. And purgatory is is a part of that matrix of our relationship right. with God after we die. It's an interesting question about hell that we can talk about when we get to that topic and whether or not it's an actual place or whether or not it's a state, a condition or a state. Yeah. In fact, as we speak, as I'm speaking, I'm writing it down on my notes <laughs> to ask you about that next okay. time. So, so we'll shall we, we'll, we'll, shall we, we're going to talk about hell next because we started this journey in heaven. We're going, right. working our way down. And so through the magic of show business that will appear right. four or five days after this, but we're going to record it here in just a minute. All right. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its Saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.